I have a special note for you note takers out there today. And, and I'm a note taker. Notes just keep me focused. Okay. When I'm listening to someone or in a, I'm in a meeting, it keeps me engaged because sometimes, you know, the mind can drift. So for you note takers out there, maybe you just want to listen today. All right. And if you can't, I understand. You might just still need to jot down some notes and that's great. But just consider and listen to the message today. And uh, I stand strong and I'm in, in solidarity with you note takers also. OK, so we have a connection. And it's funny because uh, we used to get this catalog that had a lot of shirts with funny sayings on it. And one of them was it said, misspellers of the world, untie. Right. You didn't get it, did you? It's supposed to be unite. Anyhow. OK. Tough audience today. <laughs> Anyhow, today I want to go over with you a special prayer that's in the Bible. And it's one of my favorite. And there's, let's face it, there's tons of special prayers in the Bible. But this one is not only one that we're going to go through. I'm going to have some homework for you at the end. So those of you that I said cannot take notes, you have my permission to take notes at the end to do your homework. Okay? Any good teacher would tell you, do your homework, right? But what I want to do is go through the prayer that is in Ephesians 3, and it's verses 14 to 21. If you could turn with me to that prayer. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. And it says this. It says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. This prayer has always had a special place in my heart and uh, a special brother in the Lord had shared it with me early on when I was just growing up in the Lord and it's always stuck with me. And I want to go through it today because there are seven requests that Paul makes in this short prayer, but they're powerful requests. And you'll see what the homework is for you guys later on as far as these requests go. But he starts off the prayer in such a great way. He says, for this reason, and here's the reason, if you go back a few verses to like verse 10, or um, yes, verse 10 of chapter 3, it says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the external per, eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you, you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And now he says, for this reason, for this reason, I'm telling you, don't worry about my tribulations concentrate on the glory of God, concentrate on being bold and having access and coming in faith to him. That's the reason he's talking about this prayer. But what does he do? 
He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I bow or I bend my knees. Now you've probably all heard when you go to prayer, you don't have to be on your knees, right? It's not so much the position of the body, but it's the attitude of the heart. And that's right. But I think Paul's trying to make a point here. Paul's trying to make the point that I bow my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming in humility. It's a position of the heart that that Paul is showing us right up front in this prayer. So that when we go through the rest of it, just wrap that position of the heart around everything that he has to say. And sometimes, let's face it, I think what happens is, is, you know, we pray in a car, we pray everywhere, and that's what's so great. We don't have to be in a certain position or a certain place to pray to God. We could pray to him anywhere because God's always there. You don't need an appointment, right? It says with God, you don't need an appointment. But sometimes, sometimes it is good to get on our knees and pray to God. Because sometimes I think we forget that relationship that we have with him, right? That humility that we need to have before God. So it's not a bad idea sometimes to get on your knees and pray before God. It just might set your heart where it should be instead of just kind of going to prayer right away. He goes on and he says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The next thing he says, he says, not only do I bend my knees in humility before God, now I'm asking that he would grant you, to all that he's talking to, the Ephesians, I would grant you according, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Think about that. The riches of God. My goodness, you can't think about that. His riches are so far above what we can even think or imagine, which we'll get to later on. But God is acting up to his infinite riches. God's not a pauper. God's not not going to give us a pauper's riches. A pauper doesn't have riches. He's going to give us a king's riches. And he is the king of kings and Lord of Lords, think what's available to us in that statement. What Paul's saying, the riches, the glorious riches of God. That's powerful. Now I want to get into these seven requests. And this is really the heart of the message. Paul makes seven requests in a matter of two or three verses. But they all have meaning. And there is a progression around these seven requests. The first, he says, is to be strengthened with might through his spirit. In the inner man. The word might here in the Greek is dunamai, meaning power. And you might have heard it before in Acts 1 8 when, when uh, Jesus said, uh, You will receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes. Well, dunamai is the root word for dynamite, okay? So it's not just power, this is explosive power. And what Paul is saying, you may be strengthened with dynamite type power, okay? Explosive power, how? Through God's spirit, not through our own strength, because we can't have uh, dynamite type power through our own strength. We need it from the Holy Spirit. And that's how we get it. Who do we need to be strengthened and why do we need to be strengthened in the inner man? It's because as believers in Christ, we need to be strengthened by fresh supplies of strength to allow us to do the following. And these are just a few to exercise God's grace, to also follow his commands, to resist the enemy 
and also our own flesh. Also to pick up our cross daily and carry it with him. And also to have joy through our trials, like it says in James, as well as to finish the race strong. Those are the reasons we need to be strengthened with might through his spirit. And where is that? In the inner man. And who strengthens us but the Holy Spirit? You can't do it on your own. Sometimes we try. You know what? And sometimes we're even successful at things we could do on our own because we know them so well. We know them like it's written in our head. We could do them like, you know, I know it like the back of my hand. And I don't know my back of my hand. But anyhow, I don't know where that saying came from. Um, but seriously, it's really about knowing that God is giving us this inner strength, this inner power. And I was, you ever try to explain the Holy Spirit to someone that doesn't know the Lord? I, I, was at, uh, uh, I was at a mall, and we were having lunch. I was having lunch with one of my friends from work, and, and he just started asking me about the Lord. I'm like, this is awesome. So I started telling him. But then we got into the whole discussion about the Holy Spirit, and, you know, I thought I was growing a third ear. It was just he was not getting it. And I understood why he wasn't getting it, and I'm trying to say, what kind of a concept can I give this guy so that he knows what, you know, the Holy Spirit's all about? Then the Holy Spirit gave me the verse, John 3, 8. It says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. I think that's a perfect way to explain it. We see the effects of the wind. We see the trees move. We hear it. We might even feel it on our bodies, but we don't see it. And it's the same way with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's within us doing all that. How do we see it? We see it by the fruit of the Spirit, okay? We don't see the actual Spirit doing it to us, but the outcome of that is the fruit of the Spirit. And it's an amazing way just to explain to someone, I said, thank you, Lord, for giving me that because it was driving me nuts. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew that concept was hard to have or hard to attain. And also in Acts 2.38, it says, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here it's just confirming that we have the Holy Spirit in us when we receive him and when we're baptized in the name of Jesus and when we repent, obviously. So the Holy Spirit does a lot of things. He teaches, he comforts, he comes alongside, he convicts, and he brings to remembrance all that Jesus said, too. So that's the first thing that Paul asked for. He asked that we would be strengthened with dynamite-type power through God's Holy Spirit in our inner man. Next, he says that Christ, the second request is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There's two words here that uh, convey the idea, idea to live in with this word dwell. So there's two words here. One is living in a place as a stranger, and the other one is to settling down and making a permanent home. When Paul's talking about that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, he's talking about Jesus making a permanent home in your heart, in my heart. A permanent home where he'll be comfortable residing in. That's powerful. That's powerful. How do we grab this? Or how do we know that Christ dwells in our hearts? Okay? We do it through faith. And we do it through faith by accepting that whole idea of the Holy Spirit being in us. Again, we don't, we don't even see the Holy Spirit. But we take by faith that God sends his Holy Spirit to us when we give our lives to him. And we commit to our, our lives to him as our Lord and Savior. 
And that's what he's talking about here. Paul's trying to get across this concept is that Jesus should be completely at home in our hearts. And if you think about that, sometimes that could be a scary thing, depending on where your heart is. But that's what he's talking about here. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And what does it say in Revelation 3.20? You all know it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. I, the Lord, will come into him. Do you get that? It's not just into the house. It's into him and dine with him and he with me. There's a very famous painting by a man named uh, Holman Hunt. And what it shows is that Jesus is standing at the door of this English cottage. And uh, one of the critics who looked at this painting said, hey, you know, wait a minute. He goes, there's, there's a problem with your painting, Mr. Hunt. There's no doorknob on the door. And he goes, ah, he goes, the door handle is only on the inside, for it's up to the one within to respond to the knock of Jesus. Jesus doesn't need the doorknob. We do. We have to let him in. We have to allow him to dwell in our hearts through faith. And in Michael Card's song, uh, We Will Find Him, it's a great song that I really love. The final, uh, uh, the final verse in that goes, uh, to find the king whose kingdom is the heart. That's who Jesus is. He is the king of our hearts. And in order for Christ to dwell in our hearts, our hearts have to dwell on him. Do you understand that? In order for Jesus to be in our hearts, we have to be thinking about Jesus. We have to be living for him day in and day out, or else what's going to be in our hearts? It's not going to be Jesus. It's going to be our flesh and the things that we want. So in order for him to dwell in our hearts, we need to dwell on him each and every day. And our faith has to cause us to be faithful to him also. It's not just you know, faith and believing in him. We have to be faithful to him in order for this to work. So that's the second request. Then Paul goes on and he says, also, I want, uh, Lord, I hope he grants you that you're being rooted and grounded in love. <clears throat> now, the word rooted here really is a, a horticultural term, and it depicts a firm bed in which plants are set. So they are secure in this bed where they've been planted. Now, the word grounded, grounded in love, is an architectural term. And what that means, it, it's ensuring a strong base on which a structure can then be built on top of. So there's these two concepts here of being rooted and grounded in love. And what's the love part in this message here, in this verse? Love, it's the soil in which that plant can thrive in, okay, and the firm ground on which the building rests. That's what the love is. It glues being rooted and grounded in Christ. In Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3, one of my favorite scripture verses, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. It's a powerful scripture. But what it's talking about there is, first of all, like we said, walking in faith and strengthening the inner man, first of all, with the Holy Spirit. 
Secondly, in that verse, it's talking about also that we need to, uh, Christ having dwelling in our hearts through faith, believing on his word, meditating on it day and night. And finally, being planted, like we're talking about here, being rooted and grounded, growing where we're planted, because if we're by the rivers of water, if we're getting satiated by Christ, we're getting satiated by his word, by the Holy Spirit, then we can do this. If we don't, then we're going to wither. But what does it say here? The blessing is, is if we're planted by the rivers of water, we're going to be like that, that plant that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That's powerful. That's a powerful promise for us being rooted and grounded in God's love and allowing Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith. So we've gone through three. Here's the fourth one. The next he says uh, that they may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ. I've kind of split out those three. That's really one big statement about the love of Christ. But the first thing he asks us to do is that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Why is that important, that we comprehend the love of Christ? What is going on here, comprehend, the, the word that's used in the Greek, really means to apprehend, meaning apprehend and to lay hold of with our minds effectively. We're trying to apprehend the love of Christ. And we need to do this not just by ourselves, but we need to share this with each other. If we don't understand something about the Lord, that's why we have an older brother or sister in the Lord to help us out and to bring us up and bring us closer to Jesus. Help us mature. And the Bible says that we will know the truth. It doesn't say to ignore it. It says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know it. So the truth is not to ignore. It's there so, us, so that we can comprehend what God is all about. And I'll never forget when I became a Christian that night. I was down in my cousin's basement. I was with my one cousin who wasn't a believer. I wasn't a believer, obviously. I was with my girlfriend at the time and my cousin who was a believer. And we were going at it all night talking about scripture and everything. And finally, the veil was lifted that night. The light bulb went on. I say, I got it. I was able to comprehend with all the saints, and the only other saint I knew at that time was my cousin. <laughs> so I was able to comprehend with all the saints the love of Christ because God had lifted the veil through his Holy Spirit so I can understand God's love. And it was amazing. It, it, was, it was just like within an instance I knew the truth. And believe me, I, w I was set free. I ran to my cousin and I said, you know what? I said, I understand. I understand what you're talking about. And it was fascinating to me that in an instant, God could change my heart like that. But that's really what it's all about. And unless you're rooted and grounded in God's love, you can't comprehend it. You can't comprehend it. Not that we can comprehend it in our finite minds, but you can't comprehend what God's love is unless you're rooted and you're grounded in it. So that's the fourth one. The fifth one, it goes on to talk about God's love, and it's, he says, he wants us to understand also what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. Here he's trying to say God's love has dimensions and can be measured. But measuring God's love is impossible. Think about it. We're trying to attempt to measure the immeasurable. God's love is immeasurable. But it's powerful also. And, and kind of in, in order to illustrate this along with the rooted and grounded in God's love... 
If you think of a compass, remember those things we used to use in, in school to make a circle, you know? You had to have one side kind of, you know, stuck in the desk or whatever, and then you can make a nice circle, right? You know, nowadays you use probably other things. But, but a compass can really serve as an illustration of this point. It's not easy to draw that circle except if you have that one leg, it's got to be firmly fixed, right? You can't do it otherwise or else you're going to look like a spaz and, you know, you're going to get this weird figure. But the one leg has to be fixed in order for that circle to be drawn, right? It's the same way with God's love. If we're rooted and grounded in God's love, then we can draw that circle and encompass and start to understand what God's love is all about. And a commentator put it just a great way, uh, and I love it. He said, the cross pointed in four different ways, essentially in every direction. God's love is wide enough to include every person. God's love is long enough to last through all eternity. God's love is deep enough to reach the worst sinner. And God's love is high enough to take us to heaven. That is so succinct, but so beautiful. That's what it's all about. There is no limit in any direction in what God's love can do. He next goes on and says, we, we need to not only comprehend with all the saints what God's love, know how expansive God's love and how huge it is, we actually need to know it. We need to experience God's love, the love of Christ. And is this something we could actually know? And I say yes and no, because I don't think we'll ever understand why God came down and died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I, don't, I can't understand it. I know I wasn't worthy. I'm, I'm appreciative of it and blessed, but I don't understand it. But here he's saying to know the love of Christ, to experience it. And, you know, this is an interesting request because how can you know something that passes knowledge? Like he says here, to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. How can you understand something that passes knowledge? But the word know here is gnosko, which is meaning know by experience. We all know we've experienced God's love in one way or another. And even though we know and experience it, it just doesn't do it justice just doesn't do God's, God's love justice. And our finite minds will never really understand or comprehend God's love. But here's one way of talking about how big and knowing that God's, uh, what God's love is all about. There was a saint who was in prison, and he wrote on his prison cell wall about God's love. And listen to this, because this is awesome. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and, and were the skies of parchment made, where every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Isn't that awesome? So he's saying we could fill the ocean with all the ink we want, right? All the oceans. And if the skies were all stretched out and they were all parchment, so we got our ink, we got our parchment. Now all we need with pens. Where every stalk on earth, the quill, we have our pens now to write it. And every man of scribes, now we have someone to write it, right? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. You know how big the oceans are. You think of a big cruise ship and how big they are. When you get out on the ocean, you're a little pea. You're just a little spot out there. And then it says, nor could the scroll contain the whole, even though it's stretched from sky to sky. 
That's how big God's love is. I don't know how else to explain it, but I think he did a pretty good job. (laughs) I think he had a good concept of what God's love was all about. It's powerful. Our last point here, our last request, is that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And it really is saying here that you may be filled unto all the fullness of God. That's a powerful statement. This request is really called containing the uncontainable. We can't contain the fullness of God. It's just too big. But you know what? We could sure try. And we could take on all we can. Don't hold back. And I'll even say, Lord, you know, bring it on. You know, give me as much as your fullness as I could take. We know we can't contain all of it. And A.B. Simpson, who's a a great preacher, he said, God gave me a great uh, fortune. He placed millions and millions at my disposal, giving me a checkbook with one with one condition, you can never draw more than you need at one time. You can never outdraw God's riches. As much as you need are available to us. So it's infinite. It's infinite. So he goes on with these seven requests and he wraps it around this now. He says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. This is another verse I've stood on in my life so many times that he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. I mean, think about it. You can ask for things that are way out of line. You, could, you can imagine things too. God's able to do not just meet them. He's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above. I mean, Paul, I think, was just running out of words. So he used those two and just said, forget it, guys. You can't outgive God. You can't ever get all of his, his blessings and all of his glory. And how could something that's so far above us, right, ever become a reality? And it, it can only happen because God is able to do far beyond what we can ask or think. That's how it becomes a reality. Even though we say, Lord, you'll never get me out of this, you know, he could do it. He could do it. And think of every great thing you've ever experienced, God can do exceeding and abundantly above that. Think or imagine of things that are beyond even your experiences that you've experienced in life. God can do exceeding and abundantly above that. And imagine some awesome things that are beyond your ability to even name. God can do exceedingly and abundantly above all that. And um, I'm thinking about, I was just thinking about some of the situations that have even happened in this church I remember uh, uh, someone's son was in a major car crash. The kid shouldn't even be here. And I remember going to the hospital, and it was, it was not looking good. And now I, I asked his dad today, I just said, hey, how's he doing? He goes, hey, you never know. He's doing fine. <laughs> He's going to school. It's working, you know. Praise God. Because that situation just looked like, Lord, he's not going to be with us much longer. But God was able to do exceeding and abundantly above all we can even ask or imagine. You know, I think of my my own wife just going through two cancers in a four-month period. When we looked at that, it was kind of, well, you know, this may be it. You know, and God has just done stuff I would have never thought of. And obviously her being here today is just a miracle. And I know God still wants her around, and I'm happy about that. But... um, He's able to do exceeding and abundantly above all we ask or imagine. 
How about size baby last week, right? We had prayed for this woman how many times on a Wednesday night and Sunday because she had trouble conceiving and had problem pregnancies. Then we see this miracle, this gorgeous child right behind us last Sunday. That's God doing exceeding and abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. You ever have one of those people in your life that, um, you know, you became a Christian and then later on down your road, you, you, you kind of find out this other person's a Christian, right? And uh, I had, I've had a number of experiences with that. I was going to a church close by my house when I was um, living up north, uh, and it was a great church, one of the best preachers I've ever heard in my life and some of the best worship I've ever heard in my life. So I'm walking out that night and I go in the back and there's this guy. It's one of those things. I know this guy. And my wife will always bust me and say, what did they go to Kane University? Because I always say, I know that guy from college, you know. But no, he didn't go to Kane University. But I did know him. And I'm staring at him. And then finally I said, I got to ask him. And I go up to him and I say, hey, uh, is your name Larry? And he goes, yeah. I go, "Uh, Larry Smith? He goes, yeah. I go, um, okay, and you know, the guy's getting a little nervous now. <laughs> so I go, Larry, um, did you did you coach a, a farm league team in, in Lyndhurst, New Jersey, called the Angels? He goes, yeah. You know, now he's probably really freaking out. And I said, Larry, um, did you uh, you used to be a bad guy, right? I said we were the Senators, and we we were practicing on the other end of the field. We could hear you cursing at the kids. You were throwing rocks at them. I remember one time one of my friends was on your team, you know, and he just sheepishly said, yeah, and and smiled. You know, it was Larry Smith. God saved him. (laughs) Praise God. And it was amazing, you know, and look, some of us might have gone through that stuff as a story, too. We weren't nice people. But you know what? God can do exceedingly and abundantly above all we ask or imagine. Even Larry Smith, he can, you know, even myself for that, for that reason, right? I mean, if you think about it, um, you know, I never thought I was going to be an assistant pastor when I became a, <clears throat> a Christian. I remember at college, the first, I was part of an university group, and I happened to be the, the, the senior level person at that time. I was like a year in the Lord. And uh, we, had a, we wanted to do a talk on abortion. And I had to go behind, you know, like an auditorium like this, 350 people. I was scared to death. I said, what the heck are they choosing me? I'm not Mr. Public Speaker or anything. But again, God was able to do that in spite of me. You know, in spite of my weaknesses, his strength was made perfect. The bottom line is don't ever underestimate what God can do in your life and the lives of others and the lives of this church or in the world. We can't put him in a box, and so many times we do, only because of our shortcomings, not obviously because of everything we've just gone through in Paul's prayer. The next thing he says, too, is according to the power that works within us, we know that power we talked about is that dunamis power, that dynamite power that is from the Holy Spirit. Don't ever underestimate that power. And that is the strength that is in the inner man, which is our heart. Finally, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. As always, it's not about us, guys. God gets the glory in all of these things. It's really Really important to remember that. So let me ask you a few questions. Actually, a lot of questions. How are we doing in each of the areas that Paul's praying for the Ephesians about? How are we doing in those? Are we being strengthened in the inner man with might through the power of the Holy Spirit? 
Or are we getting tossed about by everything we hear from the world and everything we hear from other people? Are we getting stronger or are we getting weaker in our walk with the Lord? And you know what? It really depends on whether we're living a spirit-filled life and walking in the spirit. It says in Romans 8, 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. It also says in Galatians 5, 16, Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He makes it so simple, but this is our daily, daily battle. Do we truly believe that Christ dwells in our hearts? We can't see the Holy Spirit living in us. We went over that, right? How do we know that Christ dwells in our hearts? We know a lot of ways, but one of the main ones are his word. And also, we know it through faith. Also, how do we acquire this faith to truly believe that Christ dwells in our hearts? Romans 10:17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the written word and Jesus through his Holy Spirit in our heart. What's the definition of faith? Hebrews 11:1. 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. The evidence like the wind, like the Holy Spirit, the evidence of things unseen. That's how we can walk in faith, in confidence with the Lord. And you know what? When Christ dwells within your heart and he looks around, my question is, is he at home? Is he comfortable with what he sees in that home called your heart? Are we established in God's love? Is, he truly, is his love truly our foundation on which we build our lives on top of? Is he that foundation? Is, is that who we're rooted and grounded in and how we get built up into the image of his son? In Psalm 11.3, it says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If our foundation, which is Christ, is destroyed, if we allow it to get chipped away at by the world and the influences around us and by the enemy, what can the righteous do if we don't have the foundation of Christ? Everything's built on that. We need to protect our foundation. Do we truly understand and comprehend God's love? Do we understand it enough that we want to share it with others? Can we even really comprehend it? We went over that. We can't. It doesn't make sense from a human perspective. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Why did he do that? Because he loves us. He who knew no sin, he who was in glory, came down for us. Why? Because he loves us. Do we understand it individually and also corporately? That's what Paul was asking us. Remember? Comprehend with all the saints. Not just yourself, but we as a church. Do we comprehend that? Do we understand God's love and do we live it? Do we truly understand the enormity of God's love? There's this great, great... um, song that God always brings back to my mind and it goes like this the one verse his love hath no limit his grace has no measure his power has no boundaries known unto man for out of his infinite riches in Jesus he giveth and giveth and giveth again that's what God's love's all about out of his infinite riches in Jesus his glorious riches which we talked about right and do we put God in the box 
Do we put him in a box? Do we realize that we're never beyond the reach of God's love? You could look at a situation and say, it's hopeless. I looked at a Larry Smith and thought it was hopeless. <laughs> but to my surprise and to many of my other friends that have come to the Lord that didn't live great lives before, you're never out of the reach of God's love. Have you truly experienced God's love to know it that surpasses all knowledge? It's like, I remember uh, I was going through the whole thing with, with the cancer uh, with my wife and uh, the peace that God gave me that did surpass all knowledge. I was sharing it with someone and she, and she said, yeah, you know what it's like? It, her definition of the peace that passes all understanding was great. She goes, it's like the peace you shouldn't have, right? You shouldn't have peace in some of these situations that you go through. But God gives you that peace. That's the peace that passes all understanding. And you might have read about it. You might have had someone tell you about God's love. But have you experienced it? Do you know God's love? And sometimes we know or experience God's love from another brother or sister in the Lord. I remember one Saturday morning we were sitting around the table at the men's meeting and we were just... We we're just talking about this, this scripture, and one of the guys just said, you know, I, I really appreciate, and the guy was right across from him, this man here coming to visit me when I was in a bad place, you know. And it was just that little verse, that little time that someone took out to reach out to someone that was hurting, that went powerfully into this man's life. He never forgot that. Just because this guy spent, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes with him. He thought of him. He loved him. And it's powerful. I could just see it on the guy's face when he was talking about it. And sometimes we experience God's love right from the Lord himself. And you know when that happens. Sometimes we experience it through his word, through a promise, and just say, thanks, Lord. I needed to hear that promise today. Sometimes it's through his Holy Spirit living within us. The Holy Spirit lets us know inside God's love. And for those of you that haven't experienced God's love, I'll be giving you an opportunity to do so in a few minutes. And finally, it's it. When he talks about, do you have the fullness of God living within you? Do you know what's limiting you in that area? You are. I am. The fullness of God is available to all of us. The only limitation is us. God wants to bless us with his glorious riches and fill us with his fullness. And you know, you may say, Pastor, I don't, I don't have all the fullness of God living in me. You know, I'm going to say back to you, that's okay. I don't either. But I sure want more of it. I sure want more of it. And today I want to ask you, where are you with these seven requests that Paul is praying about for the Ephesians? You might be more solid in one than another. And that's okay. But these seven requests are powerful. Think if you had these going on in your life all the time. Wow. God could use you mightily, even more than he is right now. Two last things. I want to give you a synopsis of this prayer because there's a lot in here. But really what it's doing is it's describing the process of the Christian life and how we should function as believers growing mature in Christ. It also is telling us that God is gaining a home within us and it relates to our understanding or comprehending the love that Christ has for us. That love, what's going to happen, that's living within us is going to turn will in turn overflow between the members of his body. That's how we can all experience it, by sharing God's love with each other. And also what it's saying is, is the outcome of this process is that the church is filled up to the fullness of God. Why? So that it expresses God's glory. 
It's all for God's glory. That's why we're here today. All for God's glory. All right. Now, you note takers, here's the homework. I have four things for you to do. And I won't, I won't even be following up on you. I'll be a lenient teacher on this one. I'll just take it on faith that you're going to do this. I want you to take this prayer a few steps further. And here's what I want you to do. First, I want you this week to pray this prayer for yourself. Pray this prayer for yourself. Secondly, I want you to pray for others. Might be your spouse, might be your friend, might be a co-worker. Next, I want you to pray for this church, Calvary Chapel Crossfields. Pray for this church. And last but not least, I want you to pray for all believers throughout the world. Just, just see what happens this week. You know, you don't have to pray it all the time. But it is a powerful prayer that Paul wrapped around his humility and at the end showed that it was all for his glory. And let's not forget it. We do all of this. And if we do this, we'll be able to glorify God even more. Let's pray.